If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Matthew 5, 38 to 41. We're continuing in our misunderstood, misapplied, miscited texts. Uh, by the way, uh, next week, I think, I think it's next week, while a lot of uh, adults and teens are at district, Sam and I are going to tackle Hebrews chapter 6, uh, which is probably the most difficult chapter in the New Testament. So that's where we're going to go next week. That's why Sam's coming up. Need a little help. But today, it's only Matthew 5, 38 to 41. It's not the most difficult chapter in the Bible, but it might be one of the most unsettling for Americans. Uh, let's pray. Father God, as we talk about your inspired, inerrant word, and it crosses very deeply held values and sometimes exposes idolatry, placing ideology, people, things above you. We pray that not only would your word expose that, but it would cause us to Respond in confession and repentance and obedience. Guide us this morning, we ask, in the name of Christ. Amen. If you're a baseball fan, you probably know the name Frank Robinson. Frank Robinson undoubtedly is one of the greatest baseball players in U.S. history. In 1956... He was Rookie of the Year. He played 21 years in the major leagues. He was a 14-time All-Star. He's an individual that is top 10 in home runs hit, 586. He's top 12 in terms of bases and top 13 in terms of extra base hits. He is one of only 25 recipients of the Triple Crown. And when I say 25, I believe I'm meaning Major League in all three African-American leagues that preceded blacks being allowed into the American and National League. So out of all four of those leagues, only 25 have ever won the Triple Crown. That means he led the league in batting average runs batted in, and home runs. He is an incredible player. He's a gamer in every way. He's a Hall of Famer. He was the first African-American ever to manage in the major leagues starting in 1976, I believe. Now, this guy is competitive. I don't know what you think about highly competitive people. If you're a fan of sports and they're on your team, they're gamers. If they're on somebody else's team, they're dirty. Well, Frank was right down that line. If he was on your team, 
as an MVP, by the way, of both leagues, only MVP ever in both the American and National League. If he was on your team, he was a gamer. But if he wasn't, he was dirty. I think of a few events in his life. One particular time, Don Drysdale was pitching and uh, brushed him back, and he had to hit pay dirt. Uh, he believed in revenge with interest. And he attacked the next ball and sent it over the fence. That's not too bad. Another time, somebody brushed him back, and he ended up getting walked. Then on the preceding next play, he slid in extra hard to the second base and actually injured the second baseman. And the second baseman said, why, Frank? He said, ask your pitcher. He had been brushed back. One time when uh, he was managing, it was uh, a game in which one of his players was brushed back and ended up in the dirt. Frank didn't even move. It seemed like it was water over the bridge. It didn't even affect him. Oh, yes, it did. When his team went out on to the playing field, his pitcher threw the first ball as a strike. Now, if you know anything about baseball... A first pitch strike greatly increases the likelihood that that player will end up out. Managers like first strike pitchers, but not this time. Frank became a wild man. He called timeout and ran wildly out, screaming at his pitcher. 40,000 people in the stands. How many times have I told you that if they knock one of our players down, with the first pitch, you knock their player down. And then he made this statement. He said, we don't let opponents get away with anything. If he's your manager, he's a gamer. If he's on the other side, he's dirty. But that's bad theology, whatever side he's on. It might be appropriate in sports. It's not appropriate in the Christian walk. We don't let our opponents get away with anything. That is not orthopraxy. Ortho meaning right, praxy meaning living. That is wrong living for Christ followers. I want to read a passage that is probably one of those passages that You've heard parts of it. Maybe you've heard all of it. It's not one of those things we tend to memorize because it's not very, well, it's a little bit hard to swallow. Let me read from Matthew 5, 38 to 41. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you, take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, that's the Greek word million, actually. It means uh, 2,000 steps. It happens to be 0.92% of a mile, not a full mile. And if anyone would have you go one million, go with him two million. That is 1.84 miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I think it's appropriate to have this in our miscited, misunderstood, misapplied texts. 
I don't know about you, but I've heard part of this text cited all the time. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's what the good book says. And we say that, or we hear someone say that, when there's going to be some retaliation, some payback. The good book tells us that we have the right to an eye to an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And the good book does tell us that, but we ought to know the context. And the context might surprise us. The context is not the New Testament. It's citing the Old Testament. And it's not really about Frank Robinson justice, payback with interest. It's not really quid pro quo or tit for tat. That's not really the context. Let me read to you the passage in the Old Testament. It's Exodus 21, 23 to 25. But if there is harm, it's actually talking about two guys that are fighting and they run into a woman in the midst of it. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And you say, well, that's exactly what I thought. It is tit for tat. It is quid pro quo. This is Frank Robinson retribution, but it isn't. If you really look at the entire context, it's what's called lex talionis. Now Moses is writing 1600 BC, but it's not the first time we've read these words. We actually have the Babylonian aspect of the law, and that's 150 years earlier. And in the Code of Hammurabi, we have the same thing, that lex talionis. It means the code of retribution. And it goes like this. When someone does something wrong, we need to respond in a right-sized manner. Now, American history hasn't done this very well. doesn't matter what part of American history. We haven't done this very well. If you go in the old wild west and you insult me and I have a six-shooter, you're dead. Right? I've seen westerns. I'm educated. <laughs> and then we have modern history. We haven't done this very well. For instance, we have cities in which we have states in which we no longer prosecute for certain crimes. Think of... Proposition 47 in California in 2014. Then Lieutenant Governor Newsom, he led the state towards Proposition 47, which said that as long as you steal something that is under $950, it is not a felony but a misdemeanor, and the police are not to arrest. And if the police arrest... The prosecutors are not to prosecute. Now, we know the result of Proposition 47. We've seen business after business after business leave California, and Governor Newsom himself changed it with AB 1603 in 2022. You remember what he did. He lowered the rate from 950 down to 400. So... If you're going to steal in California, make sure you steal 
because then it will be a non-chargeable misdemeanor. That is the law of that state. That's not what the biblical law is saying. It's not saying, let's go back to the old wild west, you insult me and I am going to shoot you. It's not saying that we're going to whitewash crime and be soft on crime. In its context, Lex Talionis says, right-size the crime. If somebody takes out your eye, the response should not be two broken arms, two bashed legs, and a smile that looks like you play hockey. That's not the response. It should be penalized by what is equal to one eye. That's lex talionis. That's where the quote comes from. So what we have here is Jesus saying, when you are wronged, don't overreact. Don't underreact. React as you ought. We're given an example of overreacting in Genesis 4, aren't we? We're introduced to this guy named Lamech who said, somebody insulted me and I murdered him. And while somebody else retaliates seven times, I retaliate 77 times in Genesis 4. It's not given to us as an example of good. It's given to us as an example of evil. So Jesus starts out this passage by saying, right size a response. You know, there's something more important. This is a frame you're going to hear me say over and over again. There's something more important than our rights. This is what he's getting at. You know what's more important than our rights? Our witness and God's glory. If you want to summarize these verses, that's it. What is more important than our rights? Our witness and God's glory. Let's see if that's what the text actually says. So in verse 39, he says, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him also the other. Now, right away, we say, well, that's not for me. That's physical violence. And if somebody physically violates me, they're going to meet the twins in a dark alley. We're going to do a little business back there, right? But that's a misunderstanding of the text. Do you know in the world today, 90% of us are right-handed. It actually was a higher percentage in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. So if a right-hander hits somebody, he hits them on the left cheek. But the text is talking about hitting somebody on the right cheek. That's why my ESV kind of gets it right and talks about a slap, not really a hit. But that actually doesn't get it either. This is an idiom. It has nothing to do with violence at all. This is slander. This is a jab at someone vocally. That's what the idiom is referring to. Now, let me stop. Maybe you do know somebody that is being physically violated. Somebody who is being physically hurt. You get them to safety. You call the police and you prosecute. You get them to safety, you call the police, 
and you prosecute. That's what you do. But that's not what verse 39 is talking about. It's talking about, as the Irish would say, the back of my hand to your laddie. It's talking about a verbal insult. And what the text is saying is if somebody insults you, as you're right, you feel like you ought to be able to insult them back. They deserve it. They got it coming, you know. But there's something more important than your right. Your witness. And God's glory. There's something more important than my rights. My witness. And God's glory. We can hardly imagine how countercultural this was 2,000 years ago. It's countercultural today. It was countercultural then. Some of you have heard of the oral traditions. The oral traditions were what the rabbis said about the word of God, and they started adding to it. That's why there was such conflict between Jesus and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, because they added to the word of God. That was the oral traditions. About 150 years after Jesus lived on earth, they were written down in what's called the Mishnah. So we actually know what the oral traditions are. And there's one called Baba Kama. And in 8 verse 6, it reads as follows. If a man punches another, he must pay a fine of 200 zoos. But if one strikes him with the back of his hand, if you insult him, he must pay 400 zoos. Double. In Jesus' culture, to hit somebody was only half as offensive as to insult somebody. And yet, Jesus says, you know what, Jeff? There's something more important than your rights. It's your witness. It's God's glory. So don't always stand on your rights. Let things go. Let God go before you. I think of Clara Barton. Some of you know Clara Barton. She founded the Red Cross. Uh, she had uh, an individual who always said very nasty things about her. And one day, uh, that nasty individual was around, and one of her friends said, there he is. You remember what he said the last time? And Clara Barton responded, no. I intentionally remember forgetting what he said. And she left it to the Lord. We don't even know who that other guy is, but we know who Clara Barton is many years later. I think of General Lee, certainly on the wrong side of the Civil War and on the wrong side of the Emancipation Proclamation. Certainly that's true. But after the war, <coughs> excuse me, he was down in Kentucky and a woman brought him onto her plantation, showed him a beautiful tree that had been damaged by Union shelling. She said, that's what the Union did. And she expected him to join in. He looked at the tree and looked at her and said, ma'am, chop it down and never talk about it again. Let it go. You don't have to respond from a zinger to a zinger. This morning... I woke up really ridiculously early this morning. I always get up at four, but I was up several hours before that. I got my work done really early this morning, and my wife's in Pennsylvania. Four times a year, she goes to 
visit her parents. So I got an empty house. I don't even have a dog. I mean, what are you going to do? So I decided, you know what? I, I have this app. I almost never use it, but it's, uh, it's a game, um, Spades. I think that's what it is. Yeah, Spades, I think. And you play with four people, and I thought, I'm going to play one game. I have a time to play. And, and I had a partner who bid nil, which is zero, and that means I've got to cover my partner. And uh, they had my partner. They absolutely had my partner. And this guy played high instead of low. And all of a sudden, I see floating across the screen a donkey from his partner. They're sending each other a donkey. And I won't even tell you what they sent back. I thought they need this sermon this morning. (laughs) Because they thought, tit for tat, you know, you insult and you insult back. Jesus said, that's not the way it ought to be for a Christ follower. Because there's something more important than our rights. That's our witness and God's glory. What happens if somebody's wronged us and they haven't even asked for forgiveness? We still really want to let it go, don't we? We quote Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We quote Romans 12.19, vengeance belongs to the Lord, I the Lord will repay. We stop telling our our family and our friends, our, our dear ones about it because they're empathetic. And when they're empathetic, it restokes our anger because we have been wronged and we forgive. And, and more often than not, if you're like me and it's a major event in our life, we have to forgive multiple times because we're triggered. We see the person, we go to the place and we're triggered again and we have to bring it before the Lord. Why do we do that? Because there's something more important than our rights. It's our witness. And it's God's glory. Jesus continues in verse 40. He says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now, I don't know if you are familiar with the clothing 2,000 years ago. Probably not. But a tunic is like a onesie. And it goes directly over your intimate clothing. And then a cloak goes over that. And if the nights are cold, you'd take that cloak and you'd use it as your blanket. In fact, Exodus 22 says, if you have to use your cloak as collateral for a loan, the guy you gave the cloak to has to give it back to you every night. I mean, how bothersome. Oh, got to give it back to me. I'll bring it in the morning. Yeah, okay, bring it back. Yep. Well, it's terrible collateral, right? And you say, well, it's Israel. It's warm there. Well, it snows in Israel almost every year, especially on Mount Hermon. I've had a snowball fight in Israel. It really does snow there. And even if you're not on Mount Hermon, the nights get kind of cold. You need that cloak. And Exodus 22 says, you got to give the guy the cloak every night. It's terrible collateral. You know what Jesus said? He said, I know that's the law. That's God's law. But there's actually something more important. If you owe somebody money, worry less about your cloak every night. Worry more about repaying your loan. 
Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Anything more than that comes from the evil one. Also in Matthew 5, he says, focus on repaying the loan. Don't worry about your rights. Even though the law gives you the right to the cloak, don't worry about that because there's something more important than your rights. It's your witness and it's God's glory. And then you get to verse 41. This is the worst of all of it. This is absolutely the worst. And if anyone forces you to go one million, 0.92 mile, go with him two million, 1.84. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about Roman law. Israel is occupied. They are a vanquished nation. There are Roman soldiers everywhere, and there is a Roman law that says that if I have my rucksack and I have my belongings and I'm a Roman soldier and you're a Jew, I can drop it and you have to pick it up and you have to go 2,000 steps. That's the law. You can imagine what that's like. 1,999, 2,000, and throw it down because you are now abetting the enemy, the occupier. And Jesus said, don't do that. Pick that thing back up again. Go another 0.92 miles. You actually have a picture of this. We do in the gospels. You remember when Jesus is carrying the on the cross beam. It's 100 pounds. He's on the Via Dolorosa. He's already been beaten twice. He has great loss of blood and he's stumbling and he can no longer make it all the way to Calvary. And a Roman inscripts Simon of Cyrene to carry the patabolum for him. That's this law. You imagine what this is like? How demeaning this is? You are an occupied nation by the Romans. They're making you carry their equipment that is used to vanquish you. And Jesus said, don't just follow the law, double the law, because there's something more important than your rights. And that's your witness and God's glory. How painful, hard swallow. This would be like showing grace to somebody in the opposing political party. Doesn't mean you can't vote them out, work for their removal. But it does mean that we ought to show some grace to those who have values that are very different than ours, that are possibly even oppressing us because the Romans were certainly oppressing the Jews. This is hard stuff. Jesus is saying that my rights might be important but I value my rights more than he values my rights. He actually values my witness and his glory over my rights. That's a hard message. Let's see how this might be applied. First, I want to assert, and I'll do this again at the end of the message, what these verses do not mean. They're not about ignoring sin. 
They're not that. In fact, this is how we interact with those outside the church. Inside the church, we don't ignore sin. What do we see in scripture? Expel the immoral brother in 1 Corinthians 5, the man who is sleeping with his father's wife. Matthew 18, go to the one who is sinning and you and him alone work out it. And if you need to, bring another person into it, but only if you need to, because you want to restore your sister, your brother in a right relationship. Confront Satan. 1 Peter 5, 8, the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is not talking about spiritual talk in the church. This is talking about us outside the church. And there's something more important than our rights outside the church. And that's God's glory and our witness to an unbelieving world. Then he gives us some examples. They're hard examples. They're uncomfortable examples. Verse 38, he starts with vengeance. He says, don't settle your lawsuits looking for all sorts of extra payment. If it's an eye that was taken, settle it for an eye. We're all about extra payments. God is not. In fact, if you remember 1 Corinthians 6, he says, if you have a wrong against a fellow Christian, let the money go. Better that you and I suffer loss than take our business to a secular court. He's not about our rights. He's about his glory and our witness. The next example is that insult department, the slander department, verse 39. We may be able to get even with someone who has wronged us, who has sent a zinger towards us, but the Bible says, leave it to the Lord. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I the Lord will repay. You know why I don't want to leave my problems to the Lord? He's too gracious. I love it when he's gracious towards me. I don't like it when he's gracious towards my enemy. It actually becomes a faith issue. Do I trust God enough to do what is right when I don't take up my rights because it could hurt my witness or it could affect God's glory? That's the question he's asking. The next has to do with collateral. He says, hey, you have the right, you have the biblical right to that cloak. But I'll tell you what's more important, Jeff, repay the loan. Focus on the loan, not your right. Focus on the other, not yourself. And then that hard swallow. When the law says you gotta go one million against the oppressor, the occupier, don't drop the rut sack. Go another one. And maybe along the way, you can talk about your relationship with the living God. Because there's something more important than your rights, Jeff. That's your witness and God's glory. This is not saying that I don't worry about somebody else's rights. 
It's saying I don't worry about my rights. James 1.27 tells us to defend the defenseless, to care about the widow, to care about the orphan. We actually are to be all about other people's rights. If we see somebody being abused in a marriage, it becomes our responsibility to intervene. If we see children being abused in a family, it becomes our responsibility to intervene. We ought to care about others' rights. This text is not telling us otherwise, but it's saying sometimes, Jeff, sometimes, Jeff, let go of your rights if doing so will help your witness and will bring glory to the Lord. It's kind of that first Peter chapter 211 where I have to remind myself that I'm a stranger and alien. I'm just passing through. This is not my home. I'll live here 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. I don't know. Not sure. Story isn't ended. But I've got all of eternity to be with Jesus. And sometimes I am so concerned about the 100 years or less that I'm going to have here. And God is saying, no, Jeff. Be concerned for the rights of others. Defend the rights of the weak, the defenseless. But for yourself, sometimes, Jeff, you need to let it go. If by letting it go, you will improve your witness and you'll bring glory to my name. There's something more important than my rights, than your rights. And that's God's glory and our witness in a world that needs Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, uh, really a hard swallow. It's not that we doubt your word. It is so true. It is inerrant without error. It's that some of your word, it's just hard to live. Especially as we have been taught about inalienable rights, and we actually, I actually believe them. But yet I also see, Lord, that you tell us sometimes to let those rights go personally for your glory, for the witness to unbelievers. Father, where we see wrong, help us to take up the cause of those who are being unfairly treated. But when it happens to us, help us to measure wisely on those times that we rightly defend ourselves and those times where we say no. No, there's something more in play, something more valuable. Our witness and your glory. Father, your word is not always easy, but it's always right. Empower us by your spirit to live out your word that you may be glorified through us. It's in the name of Christ we pray, amen.